G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. My parents were called to work amongst the Dayak people of Borneo, who are the indigenous animists. My dad was an evangelist and church planter. My mum was a bit of a bush doctor and nurse, and she had a clinic there. So growing up, I had this dual ministry that I saw, of ministry of word gospel in my dad's preaching and teaching, but also deed gospel in the way that I saw my mum love and care for the local people. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, we have an international one for you today, focusing on Uganda and Borneo. We'll start off with Simon Ratray, who was raised as a missionary kid in Borneo and has gone on to do various ministry work back here in Australia. But as we will hear, his time in Borneo has had a lasting impact on his life. Simon Ratray is chatting and sharing his story with Shelley Scowen. Simon, you were raised on the mission field, brought up as a kid in Borneo. Tell us about where Borneo is and what it's like. Yeah, I was born and bred on the mission field in Borneo. Most people call it Kalimantan these days, or to pronounce it correctly, Kalimantan. Okay. (laughs) And uh, yeah, there was a lot of activity there in Borneo in the uh, Second World War. And before then as well, um, it's, it's, it's seen a lot of history. Um, a lot of fighting and a number of civil wars as well. So there's been a lot going on there. Borneo is part of Indonesia. If you look on the map, just kind of slightly above Australia, you'll see Indonesia made up of about 13,000 islands. And Borneo, Kalimantan, is um, the biggest island. Looks like a little fat wallaby with no arms or legs. <laughs> and so the... The Indonesian side is the bottom side and the Malaysian side is the top side of Borneo and uh, inserted sort of halfway through the Malaysian side is a little nation called Brunei. It's, a, a, I, I take it, quite a tropical island? Yeah, very much so. The vast majority of Borneo is rainforest. Well, you know, prior to the last 20 years where there's been a lot of logging, a lot of mining... But, um, yeah, it's a tropical paradise for the most part. Yeah, right. So how many years of your childhood did you spend there in Borneo? Well, I was born there and uh, probably around about 16 years. So most of my childhood and my mm-hmm. early to mid-teens I spent there and was uh, my mum. My mum educated me and I did homeschooling and pretty well lived in the bush with all the bush people. <laughs> wow, so it must have been a bit of culture shock for you to come back to Australia then. Yeah, it was, Shelley. Uh, it took me quite a few years to adjust. I guess one of the scariest aspects of, of that adjustment was when I first came back here to Australia, I looked around and everybody had fences. Huh. And, you know, that kind of restricted me a little bit, a lot, because where I grew up, there were no fences. There were just miles and miles of forest, and you could do your own thing. And you could cut down a tree if you wanted to. Well, you couldn't do that here. 
get fined. Wow, yeah. Well, so have there been times that you've accidentally done things that are illegal without realising it, especially as a teenager? Yeah, well, I remember uh, my older brother, Paul, he, him and I, Paul and I actually, a number of times, you know, in the early years when we came back, we um, <clears throat> borrowed some guns from some friends and went out shooting, and we didn't actually realise that it was a state forest, and, you, you know, there's sort of some quite strict boundaries about what you can do <laughs> when it comes Whoops. to shooting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> But how do you know if you're not told, and particularly if you're, you know, brought up in a very different um, childhood, then <laughs> you can be forgiven, I think. Well, yeah, one, one, I guess one um, one thing I, we, I, I did get in trouble about a few times was killing snakes, uh, because growing up in Indonesia, well, snakes are all over the place, and, you know, you get confronted with a snake, well, you kill the snake, well, you sort of can't do that here in Australia, no. you have to, mm. you know call the snake experts and just walk away. Yeah, yeah. So life in general was very different in Borneo. Tell us about the people. What were your parents actually doing on the mission field there? Yeah, well, my parents were called to work um, amongst the Dayak people of Borneo who are the indigenous animists. And uh, so we sort of had the, the Dayaks on one side of the river and we had the Muslim Malays on the other side of the river. And so most of my parents' ministry was amongst the Dayak people, uh, but they also had some ministry amongst the Muslims as well. So my dad was an evangelist and church planter. My mum was a bit, bit of a bush doctor and nurse, and she had a clinic there. So growing up, I had this, through the ministry of my parents, kind of this dual ministry that I saw, of ministry of word gospel and my dad's preaching and teaching, but also deed gospel in the way that I saw my mum love and care for the local people and often um, we paid out of the very little money that we had medicine for them to to help them because many, many of them just couldn't afford to buy medicine. Yeah well and I take it it probably would be fairly hard to come by the right medicine at the right time as well? Yeah well yes and no I mean there's a lot of my mum spent a lot of her time giving people advice about the right medicine to take because a lot of the medicines that you uh, can't get over the counter here, back then you could readily get them and they were readily available to people, often, you know, at exorbitant prices. But, um, you know, people weren't being given the right medical advice. I mean, many people died from taking, you know, the wrong medication for that particular illness or the wrong dosage. So, you know, mum had a lot of work on her hands. Yeah, I'm sure. And, of course, building up that trust again, too, in medicine in general. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So uh, a pretty incredible work that they were doing there, uh, and I'm sure they saw some pretty amazing results. You have personally been on the receiving end of uh, your fair share of persecution as well. Tell us about some of the oppression that you faced growing up uh, when you were on the mission field, or your parents uh, specifically, on the mission field in Borneo and surrounds. Yeah, Shelley, well, I, I can give a couple of examples. Uh, when I was, uh, I think I might have been around about 11 or 12, Dad took me on my first mission trips with him into a very dark place in Borneo where the people had only experienced the gospel a few times in history and had actually rejected the message of Christ. 
And I remember one village that I went into with my dad. Um, it was dark, extremely dark spiritually, so dark that every time I closed my eyes and tried to sleep uh, in the nights when we first arrived, I had these terrible demonic images in my mind, and it was quite you know, nightmares, and it was quite horrific for an 11-year-old. I do remember one night when I went out, um, and I heard quite a commotion, and my dad was actually praying over a very large tree near the centre of the village where people or I had actually worshipped the spirit that was in the tree because being animists, they believe that there are spirits everywhere in all the trees, the plants, the rivers, and the spirits have a hierarchy of, um, you know, experience, a hierarchy of needs, and so, of course, you know, you must worship them accordingly. And uh, my dad was praying against the spirit in this tree and... All of a sudden, one of the uh, the local witch doctors came out and they started threatening Dad with, I'll poison you and you know, I'll uh, hurt you. I might even behead you if you keep praying against this because, you know, this isn't really working for me. So as an 11-year-old boy, that was um, really quite an experience for me. Um, yeah. Eventually, the witch doctor ran off and Dad continued to pray. And uh, sometime later in that night, there was a large storm and uh, the tree was actually blown over, and many of those people actually came to know Christ. So that's one of the uh, experiences that I remember. As you say, pretty full-on stuff for an 11-year-old boy. What did that do oh, to, your, much so. to your own faith journey then? I mean, obviously, you could see then the, the realness of the spiritual battle that we're in. Well, yes, exactly, and... Uh, you know, we often talk about spiritual warfare as being a kind of activity that we engage in through prayer when we go to places like Indonesia and, you know, Papua New Guinea and, you know, all these, I guess, missionary environments. But the reality is that we're all in this fight together. And as soon as uh, each one of us come to know Jesus or make some confession of Christ, we become targets of the evil one. Uh, we actually become um, fighters in this battle that Paul talks about as not being of flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers that are rule this world and that confront men. Yeah, well, it's something that we're all part of, but I don't know. I just think it, it's too easy, and, and possibly it is appropriate to shield small kids from that. But I guess at some point, yes, we do need to be exposed to it, hey? Yes, we do, uh, because we're all in it. And I think that as soon as we actually don't feel that our faith is in compromised or we're struggling through it, I think we're starting to lose the focus and we could very easily lose the battle in our own faith as well as through others. So you're saying we need to continue to explore our faith and, and ask God questions? Absolutely, and continue to read the Word of God and to you know, read the accounts of God's people who have suffered and who have conquered through, as it says in Revelation, we conquered the evil one by the Word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. Mm. So we conquer through sharing our faith, not only with those who are alive and who may not yet know Jesus, but also with the church. But every time we share our faith, we're actually confronting the principles and powers with 
the victorious vision of Jesus through our own ministry. You have uh, had an interesting journey through life then since returning to Australia. Of course, the adventures of uh, being raised on the mission field in Borneo. But uh, tell us about some of the ministries that you've been involved in since returning to Australia. You know, Shelley, I've been involved in quite a few ministries. Um, I've worked as a medical carer, as a psych nurse, as a uh, missions consultant, as a pastor, <laughs> and a number of denominations, and I'm now a minister with Churches of Christ. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've done a, a few different things in my 43 years of age. <laughs> Simon, you were there till about the age of 16. Obviously, you learnt plenty on the mission field. What do you reckon is the biggest thing that you learnt from growing up in that environment? Well, Shelley, there are many things, but I believe firstly and foremostly was the value of prayer. Um, I saw it in my parents' ministry for many, many, many years through some times of serious drought, uh, not just physically in the sense that, you know, there were some months we just ate bananas and I hate bananas, <laughs> but, um, and I still hate bananas, but, you know, the Lord won, you know, for certain times only gave us bananas, but in particular spiritually uh, is the matter of prayer. And uh, there are many years that my, you know, our, my parents did not see very much fruit to their ministry. There are some years they did, but they continue to persevere in prayer. Yeah, absolutely. It's an essential part of our walk with Christ. I mean, it's an essential part of any relationship. We need to talk to the other person in it, in the relationship. Uh, and it's the same with our relationship with God, hey, to talk to Him yeah. and then to be open and listening uh, to what He has to say to us as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm, thanks so much, Simon. That was Shelley Scowen chatting with Simon Ratray about what it was like growing up as a missionary kid in Borneo and also sharing about the lasting impact that has had on his life. Next, we're going to go and turn our focus to the country of Uganda, where Fred Siuni is from. He's involved with a ministry there called 100% Hope and their aim is to help break the cycle of poverty. That's coming up when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Our next guest on this international edition is Fred Siuni from Uganda. We're actually going to go back in time for this interview to 2014 when Fred was visiting Australia. I'm honoured to meet you face to face. I've known about you, Fred, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Trishelle Grady is mm-hmm. newly engaged to you and yes, she's please. working in Uganda with you there in mm-hmm. Mityana. Yes. Tell us, Fred... Did you grow up in Mityana, Uganda, or somewhere else in your nation? Uh, he was born in Mityana, and I moved in the small village called Makokoto, in the district of Mvende, near Mityana. And, yeah, he grown like that in that district. Tell me about your family growing up. Who was a part of your family, and what did your family upbringing look like? Um, my family, I grown in the small family. 
we used like a soil to build our houses and it was sometime it was linking and we used the one we it was having one room and we used to build to sleep on the ground sometime my mom used to get his gomez after digging and he used to cover myself but i thank god because now we we are somewhere god has helped us we've grown up now now we are okay 100% hope they helped my brothers and sisters now they are looking very well yeah so you said one room for how many people in your family we are eight and if you had my mom and my parents we are 10 we are 10 so eight children two parents mm. one room one village and what number were you in the ranking of the children were you the the first born the last born are you in the middle the first born first born ah place. so you're the big boy mm-hmm, i'm the big big boy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and how old is your youngest brother or sister mm, brother is one year no one month one month old yeah baby baby wow and here you are at the other end of the scale about to be married mm. now you're marrying trichelle now yeah. trichelle has been a, a teacher friend of mine she yeah. actually left teaching because she had well she left teaching here in australia yeah. because she had such <laughs> a heart mm-hmm. for mission work in your nation yep. and uh, has since dedicated her life to mm. truly building an actual village that educates children and breaks the poverty cycle you know, giving them a hope, giving them a future. 100% Hope is the name of the organisation. Trichelle, your fiancé, is the founder and CEO. Tell me, Fred, first of all, how did that come about that you actually got to meet Trichelle? I met Trichelle. We were friends like for, for five years. I went ahead and I told Trichelle that I want to start a relationship with you. And I told him, but before we start, let us first for free math and we fasted and some guys they gave us profits and we started from there and we started to look for each other now we are about to get married what a process <laughs> this is in mityana mm. in uganda when you were a kid mm-hmm. what were you hoping to do one day what did you enjoy and mm-hmm. what were you hoping for um at first, my work, I liked so much to press soccer. Now, actually, I know, I, because I prayed for state's team, um, I know how to press soccer, but always our plan is not God's plan. Now, when I got Trichelle, God changed my plan. Now we are working at with 100% hope because our kids in Uganda, some guys in Australia, they are helping us to help our guys in Uganda because kids, they are suffering a lot. Some guys, they rape mad people. And mad people they produce and they no one can give care even if that one who impregnated them. But God always there for them and He help them and He bring us guys to help us to care for them. So you were a soccer player. Yeah. You wanted to be a professional soccer player. Yeah, you wanted to be a professional soccer player. Was your school a large school or was it a small school? And you know what maybe was a a favorite memory of that time of your life. Mm, it was a small school, and after I stayed, like I stayed in that village for some good time, and I went to stay in Kampala with my uncle. I have like five years, and I stayed with my uncle because my parents they didn't have any money. Now they they separated. They gave us every someone in our families, and we stayed with them. 
because I didn't know God that time and I used to do my things but when my mom was Christian and he moved me from there because my uncle was not born again and I went to my grand my grand was born again and I stayed with him and he taught me how to love God and I went in a, like a, the church near my aunt in Kampala capital city of Uganda and I stayed there and my grand taught me how to love God and I continued to love God fortunately I got born again in Pastor Tom's church they taught me about loving God and I learned to do many things about God that is what make me to love more God you were very much impacted by your grandfather at this time of your life how close are you to your own siblings to your brothers and sisters you being the oldest and moving away are you close to them now yeah i'm close to them now when shadow came he helped us to bring them back like now they are studying some they stopped they were stopping studying now they came back to study Yeah they thank God for that even some of them they are not born again now they are born again they know God they love God yeah they do God you think that make me happy i feel happy so much yeah. and is soccer still your your key passion your key love key love no but now God changed my mind now i love to take care of our kids now the kids in Uganda are suffering a lot so what's your role with what you're doing now with those kids Okay teaching them about God and driving them at school spending time with them and organizing the church yeah that is part of it Is this something you imagined that one day you would have been doing when you were younger No I didn't know about it until I grown up Well I know you're a fun guy I yeah. bet the kids love you in yeah. Hope Village do yeah. they Yeah they love me a lot and even me I love them If you love them they will feel like you are their father you take care of them that is why I love children I love to take care of them yeah is part of my life do you have your favorites <laughs> you're my favorites no i love them the same <laughs> that's nice yeah i think you must have a favorite now i know a little girl who's what 22 months of age mm-hmm. she's actually your new daughter newly adopted by trishel and yourself in anticipation of your upcoming marriage little baby hope yeah now i know that i have my favorite because that is our <laughs> baby girl now so there she is a new little citizen of hope village there as a part of 100% hope the school that's there educating kids to help break the poverty cycle a little girl with a brand new future thanks to yourself and thanks to trishel help us understand what does hope village look like can you describe hope village for us mm, hope village is a big land we have like uh, 12 acres we are starting to build like we started a project the australian government gave us like a build for us the house and it gave us like five pigs we are starting to build the nursery now we are on the first floor so a nursery as in a child care center yeah Mm-hmm. in at hope village yeah so are we talking a village of houses families living in houses hope village there is kids we are helping kids from there to get a good future as you hear that 100% hope we are there to help to give children hope and to give them happiness 
we have a big plan of helping children and like to build children's houses and and to build schools from their children to study because in Uganda it is difficult to get a job when you are not educated very well and that we're looking forward to destroy that what do you see in the future fred 100% hope what does it look like in your in your mind mm, i see 100% hope developing going on kids that are growing in god loving god and our kids getting jobs and loving god more and more and going to heaven yeah i see that big dreams hey yeah big dreams <laughs> well i know trishel also has those big dreams and a huge big heart yeah. and to share those dreams and to share that heart and that hope with you mm-hmm. is an absolute blessing i think god's going to use you guys in a big way in your special part yeah. of the world it's been a pleasure to meet you fred wish yeah. you well you and trishel together and your little baby also with the name Hope. God bless you guys as you continue into the future. God bless you too. Thank you so much for that. May God bless you. Thanks for your time. Bye-bye, friend. Bye. See you. That was a 2014 interview that Karen Hunt did with Fred Sayuni just before he got married to Trishel Grady, the founder of a ministry in Uganda called 100% Hope. But there's much more to their story and to the story of 100% Hope. So I'm happy to say that our guest tomorrow will be Fred's now wife, Trishel, sharing about what brought her from Australia to Uganda in the first place, how she started the ministry and how she met Fred Sayuni. Meanwhile, if you want to find out more about 100% Hope and how they're giving children in Uganda a future and a hope, their website is 100-hope.org. That's 100-hope.org. Until tomorrow when we hear Trishel share her story, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I'd been told about this orphanage that it was in a terrible condition and maybe that we could possibly help out. And so I went there and I found these four little baby girls all lying in their own filth, all asleep. And this little baby girl opened up her eyes and looked straight up at me and I asked what her name was and they said Wendy, which is my mother's name. And so I went home that night and all night just wrestled with God and in the morning I just felt God say to me, go and take that baby as your daughter. Trishel was born and raised in Australia but has gone on to start a ministry in Uganda called 100% Hope, which is dedicated to giving children in Uganda a future and a hope. Trishel will share how it all came about and how she and her husband Fred adopted their daughter, appropriately named Hope. That's all coming up next time. The story. story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.